From Variety, I'm Michael Schneider. That 70s show star Topher Grace, next seen in the National Geographic limited series The Hot Zone, remains in awe of Saturday Night Live and what the long-running series has meant for popular culture. But I think there's something really powerful about having a show beyond that long and uh, completely live. It feels to me, I went to a boarding school and we had like an all-school meeting every week. Which was like everyone, so the teachers and the staff and the students all came into this one uh, hall that was at the school. And there were announcements and, you know, when when nationally something had happened that was troublesome, you know, might be troublesome for the kids. You know, the teachers or the headmaster would talk about it. And I feel like we're really in need of that in our world, in our country. And I feel like there's something really special about Saturday Night Live and how uh, it's been in the same place the whole time. I think a lot of this is the genius of Lauren Michael. On this edition of the podcast, we talked to Topher Grace about his favorite episode of TV ever, a 1991 Saturday Night Live edition hosted by Steve Martin. Plus, we talk about his recent dramatic turns in Black Klansman and The Hot Zone. And of course, whether there will ever be a That 70s Show reunion, it's my favorite episode. Welcome to Variety's My Favorite Episode. Let's give it up for your host, Michael Schneider. Thank you as always to DJ Omar Khan. It's My Favorite Episode, and this time out we're talking to the Hot Zone star Topher Grace. His pick for favorite episode is the Season 17 Saturday Night Live hosted by Steve Martin with musical guest James Taylor, which aired on December 14, 1991. The episode opens with a unique cold open as Martin and the cast sing Not Gonna Phone It In Tonight. That's why I'm not gonna phone it in tonight. Not gonna read my screenplay during the songs tonight. I can walk through my parts and still be hilarious. I've done it so often before. But look at these faces, look at this fat guy. He wants more, he wants more. Hey, I'm not that fat. Please. So many times I faked it just because I could. I'm that good. That good. But 20% won't do tonight. Mr. Martin, I'll do it for you tonight. Not only is Grace an SNL superfan, he even got the opportunity to guest host an episode in 2005. We sat down with the actor recently to discuss his love of the show and the serendipity of working on That 70s Show under former SNL writers Bonnie and Terry Turner. Grace took his assignment seriously, stopping by the podcast studio with notes in hand. Well, you're the first person to actually come this prepared, so I Well, it's I not a joke, that. right? Yeah. Also, you're the first person to pick uh, SNL and an ep- SNL episode in, in particular. Well, I think weirdly people – SNL is so uh, – such a part of all of our lives, right? Most uh-huh. of us since before we were born Yeah. that are watching it now. I think like – uh, there's a tendency to not think of it as a show. You think of it as like an institution or something. Like, yeah, it's just always been there. Yeah, yeah. 
And well, you went back. You, you picked a show from uh, it was the holiday 1991 episode. So this is going back to season okay, so 17. Let me just start off by saying I did not. Uh, th- there's no perfect episode of SNL, right? Right. Like first of all, there's always something wrong with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's with some episode, and that's kind of the charm of it, right? Because yeah. it's live. So uh, there's no way to kind of find which, and then you know, uh, every season means something different to everyone. Especially yeah. where you are in your life. Yeah, they always say the cast, your cast, is the one that uh, you first were introduced to in high school. And that's always the one that's that right. you sort of feel most uh, akin to. With like uh, with science fiction writing, they say the golden era of science fiction writing is when you were 13. Right. Yeah. No, that, that totally makes sense. So I, I feel that way about... Okay, so I'm going to... So yes, this is when I was in high school or middle school. Yeah. It was when I was introduced to the show. So I am guilty of picking from that time. But it's like the two greatest cast. I mean, come on. This has to be the best time of that show. Yeah, because you're right. It was sort of a, the, the, the the collision of that late 80s cast of Dana Carvey and Mike Myers. Yeah. And, and Phil uh, Hartman. Yeah, Phil Hartman and all those folks sort of colliding with the new cast. Like the Sandler uh, and Farley and Spade. Yeah, Chris cast. Rock. This is one of those few years where they're all there at one time. Yeah. And I picked it because it's the greatest host probably ever of yeah. the show, who's consistently to this day, you know, from the beginning, been the best host of yeah. that show. Steve Martin, who you almost forget wasn't actually ever a cast member, but he was such a critical part of SNL, especially in its early days, that you just, like, assume that he was. Mm-hmm. So, and then it's a holiday episode. Those always feel a little more special. There, there's something about the, the energy is up. Everyone's sort of in a good mood, and there's a lot going on. Yeah, and uh, Bonnie and Terry Turner, who wrote on that show, uh, were huge writers on that show, and then wrote Wayne's World and Tommy Boy, and uh, were, were kind of the first ones to make a movie out of something on that show. Uh, and then they wrote Third Rock from the Sun, and they created that 70s show. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, Getting to know them, I don't. My backstory is really weird. It's that I I wasn't an actor. I was in a high school play, and their daughter did the sets for it. This is in, in New Hampshire, at like a boarding school, and so I was just going to school with their daughter. I was aware that her parents wrote, you know, these are the greatest movies of the time. And not only was I obsessed with SNL, then it was like you know Wayne's World yeah. and Tommy Boy. I thought was just perfection oh yeah yeah there's there a period of time where snl like immediately was turning things into these fantastic movies yeah, and, and these, and, i mean that's a great relationship from that show you know spade and farley they're kind of total opposites but they're friends and so then to and then they i remember i was still at school they won the golden globe for third rock from the sun which is kind of a genius concept and then uh i got to know them really well when i was doing that 70s show and they told me about this episode because I always thought this opening with Steve Martin where he starts they were writing you know, this is a couple of years earlier they were writing on it at the time uh, they told me how the whole group came together to write it What's, what maybe people know or don't know about Saturday Night Live is that the writers all write individual sketches Yeah. so on Tuesday there's like a, I don't know, some kind of writing session Tuesday night that goes until like 3 a.m. Yeah, they they sl- basically sleep overnight in the office. Yeah, I mean, it also sounds like the coolest. I'm sure they don't feel that way, but it sounds like, uh, you know, some kind of genius summer camp or something. Yeah. And yeah. then on Wednesday, they present the host with all the, you know, 50, 60 sketches, and you read all of them. But uh, it's individual work, like or maybe some people team up. 
But I guess they told me that this was one where this whole staff, this kind of legendary staff, which has, you know, among others, like, you know, Bob Odenkirk and Conan O'Brien. Yeah. You know, like amazing. I think Al Franken was there at the time. Yeah. I mean, and it had people who were uh, kind of new to the show, right? And then it had these voices that were still there from the 70s, right, when it started. Yeah. They all came together, apparently, to write this opening, which I think is, if you had to point to, like, one singular moment of the show... It's got to be – look, everyone could debate this, right? To the end, It's been on for 45 years or something. Yeah. But, like, uh, Steve Martin being backstage and then doing this musical number, which is, like, just perfect. Yeah, yeah. It, it would. It's the kind of thing that they usually say for, for a monologue. For but, but this was the actual opening before Live from New York at Saturday Night. And, and, and all this uh, history because Steve Martin – I mean, at the time, the show probably felt old. Yeah, I mean, like it had been on for so long. It only, I mean, I guess it had been on fifteen years that time. Yeah, or less. like seventeen. It was season seventeen, so it was already sort of aged. And and uh, you know, Lorne Michaels had uh, you know created it, the left, and came back, and it seemed like okay, how much longer can this thing go? It's, well, they clearly had all the success. I mean, to me, those uh, kind of early Jan Hooks, Phil Hartman years are like unbelievably artistic. And I think Bonnie and Terry were there at that time. Yeah, and then. Uh, this kind of new cast was coming in, so that was exciting. And yeah, it all comes together in this one sketch, which is just, and it's it's about SNL itself, you know. Yeah, yeah, and everyone had a part, everyone had a line, and of course they even have Lauren sitting there. And I love someone's like painting a portrait of Lauren as he's yeah, sitting that there. Joke is, so there are like twelve amazing jokes that happen in one thing. Yeah. One of them is. Lauren's section where he's like lip syncing to that thing. Yeah, yeah. As someone's painting like this amazing portrait of him (laughs) in his throne. To me, what also it highlights is that uh, in a way, SNL is kind of a sitcom. Like it, it it is individual sketches and there is like a host. Although I hosted and it actually feels like you're more of a guest star because these people are so, can you curse on this? Yeah, yeah. They're so fucking talented. I mean like you go, you're just kind of like guest starring on this show that they're putting on but uh they um you get to know the characters and i could tell you the characters now are like pete davidson's a character and like leslie jones is a character in the same way like yeah. what this sketch did is it like has chris farley as his character right i mean he yeah. plays characters within the show but then i thought what was so cool is that it kind of like phil hartman comes out and comments on what phil hartman does on the show and you realize like one of the great things about that show is you get um you get to know who Dana Carvey is. Even though he's playing all these different characters, you also start to, you know, you know who Will Ferrell is. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, They're like, yeah. Well, yeah, another good example is Tim Meadows comes out and says, this is the only line I have this week on this episode. <laughs> but that was, the, that was when he had just joined, and then he ended up being there for, like, you know, 12 years. He was one of the longest-running cast yeah. members. But, but from those early days where the newbies barely, they're fighting to get in and, yeah. and to have even one line or one sketch. I just love the fact that they are different characters but then within that they are like um it was great on 30 rock they had this great you know tracy jordan character it's kind of like that like tracy jordan is a character and then he also plays characters on this uh, fictional show they're on but like i always like the fact that you get to know and feel comfortable with these performers as who they are kind of off camera too yeah and i think this sketch does that perfectly too yeah yeah no and and uh you know even steve martin of course being steve martin and Steve Martin, outside of this, is one of the great American, you know, multi-hyphenist geniuses of all time. And then to have to let him come on this thing, which he's really comfortable with, and write something that's so perfectly him. 
I mean, yeah. there's too much going on in one. To rewatch this for you, which was amazing to sit there. I was on a plane ride and they had internet, so I said, "All right, I'm going to watch this whole episode." Yeah. And just I couldn't get over how perfect that opening is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, you know various very sketches that were in that episode. Yeah, Schmidt's gay. Schmidt's gay. <laughs> one of the so classic of, ads. Great. And at that time, if someone were to go back and watch that now, they would not understand. Well, what was so powerful about that at the time, but it was not something that was on TV. Yeah. And uh, it's funny, but it's also important. Yeah, yeah. So that that was that was great. Uh, there was quite a few deep thoughts. Remember Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy? I love Deep Thoughts. My <laughs> high school uh, yearbook uh, page, they give the seniors a page, and mine was a deep thought. Yeah. Which I'm trying to remember. was like, uh, if trees, if trees screamed... Would we be so cavalier about cutting them down? <laughs> Perhaps if they screamed all the time for no good reason. <laughs> yeah, it was just nonsense. And I, I remember, like, we, my, uh, a friend and I did a college radio show, and we even, like, stole that bit, you know, because that's what you do in college. Everyone, you, you, yeah. You exactly, stole that bit. So we exactly did our what own, I was doing like, in my yearbook. Everyone's yeah. stealing, like, uh, also, there was no internet at the time. Yeah. This is actually to say... I love this episode, and there's so much going on, and I love Saturday Live. I think everyone comments on how it goes up and down, but truly, it's always relevant. There's always something uh, to take from it. Uh, I think what's so important about Saturday Night Live, no matter what your favorite, you know, substitute for this episode, whatever you're at home, whatever your favorite episode is, but I think there's something really powerful about having a show beyond that long and uh, completely live. It yeah. feels to me, I went to a boarding school and we had like an all school meeting every week, which was like everyone, so the teachers and the staff and the students all came into this one uh, hall that was at the school and there were announcements and, you know, and, uh, when nationally something had happened that was troublesome, you know, it might be troublesome for the kids, you know, the teachers or the headmaster would talk about it. And I feel like um, we're really in need of that in our world, in our country, and I feel like there's something really special about Saturday Night Live and how uh, it's been in the same place the whole time. Yeah. I think a lot of this is the genius of Lauren Michaels, which is, uh, he that show's so successful, he could have moved it. Yeah. He could have uh, put it in a bigger studio. I, I've been there. It's hard for them to bring the sets up in the elevators. I mean, there's something so small about that, that studio space. I don't think people realize at home it's hard to make things look great and that's kind of like the point of it like yeah. he gives it this live tactile quality that has captured you know the last four and a half decades or something has captured what America is kind of going through and it yeah. feels like it's so immediate there's nothing else like that yeah and I think even more so now in this age of fragmentation and, and people have so much choice and, and they can watch things on demand at any time they want so other than Game of Thrones people aren't watching the same thing at the same time anymore yeah. except for sports and SNL well it's these kind of uh, live events where anything can happen and I'm sure there's a danger to it that um, Lauren must understand is like a really uh watchable quality yeah and uh when things go wrong i mean i don't think uh he's happy when things go wrong but in a way the challenge he's set up for himself by never changing that where it is and where i mean i i'm so nervous i, I really mean this and i uh i mean i don't know him well but i'm really nervous that if he's not a part of that show 
that America won't have that home base. Yeah, yeah. Not to sound too, uh, you know, uh, sappy about it or something, but I, I really think that that's an important touchstone that we all... By the way, when they did, like, the... Remember when The Apprentice was, like, really popular? Yeah. This is probably not, <laughs> like, so great to bring up now. But, like, when, when The Apprentice was a real... It was a, having a moment. It was a, its first season, like, everyone was watching. Its finale was at the studios at SNL. Yeah. Like, um, I remember after 9-11 when, when people wanted to uh, talk about it, like Mayor Giuliani was uh, in the opening monologue. Like, I think there's just something about uh, such a scary world. There's no, there's no center of it, right? No center of town. Yeah, yeah. But this is uh, like something you can count on, that it's going to be there. Yeah, and that has to do with, I think it's been there for a long time. So the amount of time it's been on. Yeah. And then I also think it has to do with the the balls that it takes to keep it the same. I mean, everything else. I've been a part of things like this. For this, they grow successful. They grow bigger and kind of out of control, and they there's they can't keep it the same. Yeah. You know, success has many fathers, right? And like Lauren, I think is just I think he's really an American legend. Like to kind of uh, and the reason. Uh, it's done well is because because he's I think another thing is like he always puts uh, the music act before update like I yeah. think that's something that the, the the network's probably always saying if I had to guess like why don't we get update a little earlier and he knows just like how people what keeps them tuned in yeah. and, uh, if he weren't there well I just hope yeah hope Tina Fey <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, and and the years that he wasn't there, the show almost was canceled. So it took him coming back to save SNL. Well, yeah, you can see what it was like without him. But, yeah. Uh, well, you, you you mentioned it, but yet you you guest hosted in two thousand five. Um, now that was an interesting sort of uh, you you had to pinch hit, right? Wasn't uh, Jennifer Garner originally? Right, I found host? out very quickly that I was going to host it, and it was. Uh, so how did that happen? Like, well, you know, you get the call and. It's one of those great calls in your life. And for anyone out there who hasn't hosted yet, who's listening, this is the experience. You are, especially if you're 25 or 26, you're scared out of your mind. And you go through this process everyone's kind of talked about where they redo the sketches. And uh, to me, the, the moment that really stands out is I always thought people were coming out of a, like when they come out that door and they run down the steps and, and give their monologue. Yeah. I always thought that there was like a room behind that door that everyone was hanging out in. I just, I just always thought like yeah, the cool green room. Yeah, that yeah. was the cool green room backstage, and everyone's in there. Go, hey, it's your time to go out there. Like that studio is so small. There, there's no room back there. There's just like a brick wall, and then two feet in front of it is a set door, and you run through it. And the band is live, and you know the show is live. And I think I made the mistake of asking. You know, has anyone ever tripped when they came out for the monologue? And they said, no, not yet, you know. (laughs) Someone's got to be the first. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I was uh, standing behind that door, and the band is so loud. And they have a dress rehearsal, but nothing can compare you for how nervous you're going to be. Yeah. And there's just kind of a grip who's sitting on a bucket or something, like reading a newspaper, and he looks up at you, and he says, like, three, two... You can't even hear him. The band is so loud. Yeah. And he points at you, and you got to run out there. And yeah, uh, it was it was a really crazy experience. Yeah. 
but I, although I really loved doing it, and a lot of people, a lot of hosts I know even now say, you know, this is a dream of my life, and it certainly was for me. Like, I focus more on my experience as a viewer of it because I think it's, uh, I mean, I don't know what else. In have American. you ever, have you gone back and watched your episode? Or? Uh, yeah, every night before I go to sleep. Because yeah. kind of, <laughs> you, you also love the killers, and, and they were your musical No, guests, I fast so. forward through yeah. anything I'm not in. Exactly. But, <laughs> but I think... Uh, no, it's. I mean, I mean, I I really love my time being there and uh, hosting. I don't. I don't. It's funny they said like, kind of, what accents do you do at the beginning of the week? And I went, oh, I, <laughs> I might not be the optimal host for this. Like, <laughs> they don't. I don't really do any uh, characters or anything. But uh, but just being there and the history of it is great. But I, I, the older I've gotten, the more I appreciate. I mean, I, I was excited in a self-centered way that I was on it when I went to do it, but. Now seeing it in more context, I go, what a wonderful thing that is for, I mean, that show came on, I guess, two years before I was born. And, I, you know, it's funny. I love doing it, but the more impactful thing was the first episode I saw in sixth grade. Yeah. I remember I, my mom, I don't know, we got home late from something. My mom let me watch it and it just it blew my mind. Yeah. It kind of informs, <laughs> informs your humor to some degree. Like it sort of oh, helps you define degree. when you're that age. To every degree. Yeah. It's like... Uh, I mean, look, everyone's got stories before. I'm sure when Lauren Michaels watched Flying Circus or something, he went like, whoa, what is it? You know, so there's every generation has its thing. But it's crazy is how this is sustained. And now the show has people on it who grew up on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you did it, though, that was toward the end of run of, uh, of 70s show, right? So Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, it, it, to some degree, did you... Uh, I mean, did you feel more confident at that point? Did you sort of feel, I got this, or was it still just terrifying? Because, uh, I mean, you've been performing in front of huge studio audiences for, for several years at that point. Yeah, I felt comfortable. Um, just to be clear, anyone who's tuning in, I did not pick my episode of SNL. <laughs> no, <you laughs> it sounds not. like we're kind of... Uh, yeah, no, but, but it's fascinating to, to talk to someone who lived through that experience. I always, even now, I'm doing... John Stewart's new movie right now and you know it's a real comedy um but it's uh I mean when John is Steve Carell's in it John Stewart's directing it and uh you really want to come uh comedy ready you know what I mean you don't yeah. want to overdo it you don't want to undercook it it's like a you know I really respect the people on the set so uh I would say having a live studio audience for years on 70s show was the just the greatest training ground for all of that. I mean, it helped on SNL because there's a live audience, but to me, sometimes where it really helps is when there's not a live audience. Yeah. It's a movie I'm doing now where you want to know what you think people will be laughing at in nine months once it's edited and in theaters, and you don't want to be too, um, like I said, you want to be, be really careful with the volume switch, you know? Yeah. The volume knob. In a moment, Topher Grace on what it took to play David Duke in Black Klansman, the real-life warning behind the hot zone, and whether a That 70s Show reunion might ever happen. From Variety, this is my favorite episode. This is Daniel Holloway. Join me every Friday for TV Take, Variety's podcast about the television business. In every episode, we feature interviews with stars and showrunners from today's hit shows, as well as conversations with variety journalists about the key TV headlines of the day. Subscribe or download to TV Take wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. It's my favorite episode. I'm Michael Schneider, and Topher Grace is our guest. 
National Geographic's The Hot Zone is based on the book that chronicled the terrifying true story of the origins of the Ebola virus and its first arrival on U.S. soil. Ebola's never been detected on U.S. soil. There's a first time for everything. I have a husband, two kids. We have a duty to protect them. Oh my God. I need to get back in there. There's a chance that it's Ebola. They may already be in the midst of an outbreak. The six-episode miniseries stars Juliana Margulies and Noah Emmerich, as well as Topher Grace, who plays Dr. Peter Jarling, virologist for the United States Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases. Audiences may still remember Grace for his eight-season run as Eric Foreman on That 70s Show, but he's done a wide variety of projects since then, including his recent role as David Duke in Spike Lee's Black Klansman. And now, in the Nat Geo thriller The Hot Zone, which is most definitely not a comedy. Let's talk about. I mean, you've made some uh, some interesting career choices recently. It's it sort of uh, runs the gamut. So so right now you're <laughs> shooting a comedy film, Hot Zone, of course, coming out in late May. Uh, you know, a, a thriller, real life. Hot thriller. Zone is not a comedy. Not a comedy. Uh, it's it's it's. Although I love doing comedy in things that are dramatic. That is actually probably my well, sweet spot. Well, uh, jumping around real quick, I mean, your your take on David Duke and Black Klansman. I mean, it's you know, such an awful, awful human being, but, you know, pathetic and you're able to kind of channel a little bit of that. Well, you can say a lot with comedy that you can't say without it, you know, and uh, I was really lucky that that script was uh, as funny as it was. Spike hated using the word uh Comedy. I think you liked using the word humorous because the just the conceit of that film is so hilarious. Yeah. I mean, just when someone tells you about it, you you go, it has to be a real story, or it would be like the weirdest made up thing. Yeah. Ever. But uh, there was a really interesting tone there too, and I was uh, I was very <laughs> very scared doing it. Yeah. But I mean that 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 finished product. I mean, that, that yeah. movie, I don't think I've ever gone from laughing to that final scene. Yeah. I mean, I was bawling in the theater. It's, yeah, a lot of people were. You know, it, was, uh, it, it ran the gamut for me preparing it, too, because the rehearsal, or the, the research part, the rehearsal was okay because I was doing it with Adam and John David, and uh, I realized, oh, there's a tone to this movie that's going to be, uh, fun is the wrong word, but it's going to be uh, making fun of it with a really kind of dark comedy. Yeah. But uh, in terms of the research, it was like borderline depressing. So it kind of went backwards. If your experience was that you had fun and then it was depressing, mine was that it was very depressing. I had to read his autobiography, which is like his mind Kampf. I had to watch a lot of filmed interviews. I watched a lot of him on Donahue, yeah. which was really interesting and in how he interacted with the crowd. And uh, So it was kind of the worst month of my life. And then... Once we started making it, I thought, oh, this is, this is like, uh, you know what it is when you add a little bit of humor, you go, this is going to be really seductive. If you make it all serious, it might turn some people off, but you might, uh, with some humor, you might talk to some people who wouldn't normally listen, which yeah. is really important with a film like that, I think. Yeah, yeah. And to be, I mean, it's, it's subtle because I, I like to use, describing him as pathetic because that's sort oh, yeah. of the, the, the best way to kind of depict David Duke is to you know, not beat people over the head, but just sort of subtly show people like this is just a pathetic human being. Well, that's why you got to work with someone like Spike Lee is because in the wrong hands, it's a very dangerous film. I mean, the, to want to have fun with that subject matter is very scary for a performer. But I knew reading it 
uh, that it was going to be Spike from the beginning. So I th- and Jordan Peele was producing it. So I thought uh, this might be the only two people in the world that you can kind of trust Who with that kind of material. Yeah, yeah. Now compare your uh, what was your prep uh, situation like for Hot Zone? You're playing another sort of real life character and right. another no, also real life not situation. the greatest uh, prep time. You know that book yeah. is really depressing and uh, the message of that book and and our uh, limited series is that it's it happened it reached american soil, soil ebola was here and it can come back it's like you know uh my wife hates when i talk about this but the fact that we haven't had a big earthquake in a while does not mean that we're more safe now right it means that we're actually you know inside you internalize it as like oh we're you feel more and more safe you should actually feel more scared uh and some of the things we learned doing our research for that, because it wasn't just reading the book. It was then meeting with people who worked at the CDC, and uh, we had experts on the set. And you just you start washing your hands all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I yeah. mean, that's all I did. And the other thing is these guys, these scientists don't touch their face. They go through whole flu seasons without getting the flu because they, I mean, how many times have I touched my face in this interview right now? Right. And they just, they know how to not be uh, contagious. But, yeah. Uh, that's a that happened in the 80s we are way overdue yeah <laughs> good times yeah so it sounds like this this comedy you're shooting right now is a nice sort of uh bath you after know, no all joke. this darkness it's been great it's been really like uh look it's political i mean john wrote it and it's yeah. uh it has some real uh truths that are uh very serious at its core but like everything john does it's uh it's uh sugar-coated so deliciously yeah what uh, can, can you talk about it like what do you can can you say uh, who you're playing you know, and... i don't know how much i can say about it probably not yeah. uh the cast is insane it's rose Byrne and um uh steve carell and uh chris cooper and i mean just incredible actors and people who are both great actors and uh great comedians yeah. Yeah, so you've you've been having a time. I mean, to to work with some really. But you're great right. People. This like I'm I'm relaxing so much on set to go from hot zone where I was. First of all, some of those lines. I'm just an actor, man. Like this is like, like the classic. You gotta because because you're you're playing a researcher and, and all oh, yeah. the technical terms, all the things you have and to learn. You're next to Juliana Margulies, who like, you know, knows your shit when it comes to like, you know, I mean, this isn't the ER, but it's like she knows how to do but that. She thing. yeah, she she's practiced. Yeah. So. I really wanted to come correct, but uh, that subject matter, even though uh, you know Noah Emmerich, who's in it too, and Julian Margulies, they're really fun. And sometimes you weirdly have more fun on one of those dramas than on a comedy because you need to let off steam. Yeah, got to have some dark humor on set. Yeah, so we did have a lot of fun, but ultimately, it's the message is so uh, you know uh, scary. I mean, the monster is real this isn't a fictional monster we're making a movie about and uh it's invisible the monster i mean that's what's so scary and uh so yeah it's been really fun being on a set where we're just like laughing all the time and yeah yeah i've I've needed to scratch my nose for the past like two minutes now ever since you mentioned that i just (laughs) don't know what to do you're getting the flu anyway man (laughs) we're all we're all screwed If, if it's not one thing it's another um you know it's uh it's Funny, uh, this this day and age, uh, I feel like I have to ask the question because if I don't, then it's going to be announced in a month and I'll be kicking myself. But you know the classic, like, 
70s show reboot. You guys ever talk about it? Is that ever you know, come No, don't up? worry. It doesn't. You're not. <laughs> you're not the first person to ask. Of course, I'm not, and, you won't and I won't last. be the last. But um, <clears throat> just got to get it for the record. No, I get it because I was. Uh, it's funny. I, you know, it's a like a question you get asked a lot. But then I was in a scene the other day with Steve Carell, and I was like, well, I bet he gets asked it like a lot more. Like, yeah, it's it's a required uh, yeah. question now. I think, uh, and yeah, and it is because most of the shows have done it. But I think uh, there's look. The short answer is everyone's so successful who's come off that show would be really, really hard. Like, yeah, uh, you know, Laura's on Orange Is the New Black, and Wilmer's on NCIS, and you know, these days what happened to Ashton Mila? Who knows? But, but <laughs> exactly. Like, but uh, these days you can do three or four things at once, though. It's, I know, it's but the there. I mean, the the personal answer is I would love it because think about if someone said we'll pay you to get to go do another year of high school with all your friends from high school it'd be amazing i mean and and you know and you wouldn't have to do any schoolwork it would all be fun you know like that's god i would love it uh and i love it when i see any members of that cast individually or uh you know sometimes we all get together but uh i just think uh, you know look i'd be there i wouldn't be the one who held out i think one thing I've, I've wanted to ask you, actually, because uh, I don't think we talk about this enough in the world, is how weird was it that Fox had two characters named Eric Foreman on their network at the same time? It was soul-shattering to me. It destroyed me. Because <laughs> you were the first. I couldn't sleep for a long time. <laughs> and uh, only now, through like therapy and drugs, basically, have I kind of started to deal with that. Yeah. I mean, have you ever like run into David Shore, who created House? You're like, dude, did you not yeah, like, watch the Seventy Show? Like, grabbed him by the lapels, I threw him up against the wall, and I said, "You son of a bitch!" Yeah, this name was. First taken. of all, by the way, first of all, Seventy Show came out first. Yeah, years before. I just, I just started wailing on him. They had to get two of the waiters to kind of pull me off of him. Yeah, yeah, that or like, like some like uh, current executive at Fox would have said, "We can't do that." It's. I mean, just <laughs> think, guys, think. No, uh, I actually didn't know about it until uh, I think after Seventy Show ended. I wasn't. I, I liked House, but I was one of those people who caught on to it later. Yeah. Um, I played. I, I was in a movie at that time with someone who was named Foreman at the, and it was throwing me. But that's fine. Yeah, which was a pretty common name. I think literally the point. I remember I was there when Bonnie Turner, that writer we were talking about, was naming all the characters, and they all had different names when it was originally written. I think, and she, you know, they had to clear people's names. And, uh, you know, to make sure there wasn't only one person. You know, there has to be, like, 12 people that have the name or something. Yeah. And, like, I think, you know, something like 14 people had the name, you know, uh, Michael Kelso or something. And, like, 3 billion people had the name Eric Foreman. It was like she was going for what is the, uh, both literally and figuratively, the most average common guy name. Because that's, like, the spirit of his character. Yeah. It's literally a Foreman. You know I mean? Like. Yeah. So, so that made it easier to clear. Yeah. Um, well, fingers crossed. You know, maybe uh, you know Netflix these days they back up that Brinks trucks for everything. So Ashton's already on Netflix. Uh, who knows? <laughs> hey, man, I appreciate. It. I mean, I, I like I said, I would, I really mean it. Like, I would love to. Who wouldn't want to go back into you know what they were doing at you know nineteen twenty? It was the it's the golden time of your life, and I love those guys. Uh, and you know what I really miss is working with them in front of a crowd. Like, I, you know, four days a week, 
uh, we'd hang out and rehearse the thing, and that was really fun. Uh, and we'd all hang out afterwards, too. So it was like, you know, that was great. It's like being in high school. But then on that fifth day, we'd all get in front of an audience, and not only are those kids all so talented, but they're also so talented at what, they, you know, it's like a great sports team where one guy's a great catcher and one guy's a great pitcher and one guy's a great outfielder. I'm, my sports analogies aren't good for me because I'm <laughs> playing sports. But, like, you know, I really, I really uh, miss knowing a team that well. Like, uh, the thing I'm working on now, I, I, you know, everyone's so talented, but I'm learning to know them. There, it's like you had five years of knowing what everyone's skill was. So if you wanted to throw to Wilmer, you knew there was a thing that he just knocked the cover off the ball. Or Yeah, yeah. Well, the other, the, the other scary thing is it's been, what, 22 years, I want to say, since the show hey, launched? Hey, hey, so, 20 years, dude. 20. Relaxed. <laughs> Only 20 years. Right. By the way, I had Wilmer. I have a podcast uh, apropos of uh, Oh, everyone has a, pod- a podcast Everyone has now, a right? podcast. If you have a podcast, that's it. Exactly. You're the last person. No, but I... Uh, I had him on my podcast. It's called Minor Adventures, and uh, each episode uh, we go on a, a different adventure. So the first episode, like Whitney Cummings came on, we did a lie detector test. The second episode, Paul Shear came on, and we uh, did telemarketing. Every time it's different. I just took the Myers Briggs test with Chelsea Peretti. Or, yeah. Um, when does this go out? This, so, uh, this episode, a couple weeks. Oh, a couple weeks. Yeah. All right. So we just had. This is a secret now as we're recording it. Yeah. But it just happened. Zach Levi and I came in and we became ministers and we married a couple. Oh. So on the air. So uh, Wilmer came in and something we used to do all the time was fake movie trailers. Just while we were bored, there's a lot of hanging around time yeah. on a set. So Wilmer and I used to, we'd be playing music back in our dressing rooms and we'd say, like, this summer, we'd start acting out trailers. So we had in on my podcast the biggest movie trailer announcer in the world. The guy who actually says, like, you know, in a world. Yeah. And me and Wilmer read, uh, did movie trailer announcements with him. And so it was a great flashback to what you're talking about. Yeah. It was like, it'll always be there, that kernel of, like, even just doing that with him on that, for that half hour was like, I was like, oh, man, you could just, it's like riding a bike. You can just, these people that you're so close with, you can just pick it right back up and, and do it again. Yeah, yeah. Well, fingers crossed. Congrats on everything that you've got going on, uh, including the podcast, the upcoming movie, Hot Zone, coming to Nat Geo at the end of May. Uh, And uh, who knows what else? Anything else uh, you're excited about you can talk about? Uh, Well, no, that's too much That's a lot. That is a lot already. So, and, uh, well, well, congrats, man. And uh, thanks thanks for coming by. coming on and geeking out about something that I truly care about. Yeah. Yeah. Did we miss anything from your notes, by the way? No, look, we we, we wound up, we wound up... uh, all of everyone who comes on this show, who's your guest, winds up coming to Hollywood because it's something they saw when they were younger, right? Yeah. So that's the full circleness of it. You get to come on and say you're a fan, but hopefully it's something that they saw in their youth where they said, like, wait, I can do that. And that's why they're here talking to you now, right? And here we go. So full circle. Well, congrats, man. Thanks a lot for coming by. Thank you. Yeah. That's it for this edition of My Favorite Episode. Join us again next time as we once again explore another guest pick. 
And be sure to subscribe to my favorite episode on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or anywhere you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com for your daily fix of TV news, analysis, and reviews. I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you again next time. We'll be right back. 